today is from John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is judgment. The light is, has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. I've entitled this message Christian Spirituality. I want to talk about what the Christian view of spirituality is. Just a few weeks ago, on the 9th of October, the few the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life published its, one of its annual reports. They report on religion every year. Uh, they found out that nearly 20% of all adults, think about this, nearly 20% of all adults in the United States today do not identify with any religious group. Now, that may not seem like much to you, but now think about that. 20% of all adults, when you ask them what kind of religion or religious background do you have, 20% say, I don't identify with any religious group. Five years ago, that number was 15%. That is an enormous increase. You know, that's like a 33% increase in the number of people who do not identify with any religious group. Now, it's all certainly true that in a lot of times, people you know, don't go anywhere, don't practice their faith, but generally they would say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, but I don't practice. Or they would say, I'm, you know, I'm a Baptist, but I don't go anymore. Or I'm a Muslim, but I'm not active. You see, or I'm Buddhist kind of thing. But the 20% literally say I'm religiously unaffiliated. There, there's a term for them now in popular culture, in, in, in demographic studies. They're called the nuns, <laughs> N-O-N-E-S. No religious affiliation. Now, and in particular, people who are part of the generation known as millennials that's people born since 1981, which describes a number of you here today. The group there, nearly one-third self-identify as unaffiliated. No particular religious faith. This is why we need churches like this in Cave Creek. We need a kind of setting 
where people who don't have any real typical religious background can say, you know, I'd be afraid the church would fall in if I walked in, but I think I could walk into the bar, and I think I'd be okay. And I, mean, I don't mean facetiously about that, but we ought to take the church to where people are. Now, some of you here today are bona fide, good old-fashioned church people. You're really comfortable in a church setting. But I want to invite you to help me take the good news about Jesus into places where it hasn't really had the chance. Join me. I mean, your church will be fine without... Oh, I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> Forgive me. I don't really mean it that way. But, man, I'd love to see you join us on this adventure of finding a way to communicate Jesus to people who are religiously unaffiliated. Nearly one-third of people born 19... Now, they're not kids. Some of you are a little old. I mean, I have a child that was born in, well, 1984, you know, so, um, you know, that means 30 years old. 30, what, 81, 91, 2001, 32 years old and younger. One-third. That, if you're a follower of Jesus, that ought to bother you. That ought to bother you a lot that there are one-third of people in our country who identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated. Now, we should not assume that these people are atheistic or antagonistic towards God. Don't make that assumption, but it's not true. Just because people are religiously unaffiliated doesn't mean they don't like God or don't believe in God or don't even pray. That is not because, in fact, among this group of their religiously unaffiliated, 68% of them say, I believe in God, according to this research report. Seven out of ten of those who say, I don't practice any particular religion, don't even identify myself with any, seven out of ten say, I believe in God. So they're very spiritual people. 21% of those people pray every day. They self-identify as being praying people every day. And 37% of those people identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. How many of you have heard the phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty well a common way we think about things today. And very commonly, people identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. What does that mean, really? What does it mean to be spiritual? Or how do we find true spirituality? Now, if you're a bona fide long-term Christian, you've got this all figured out. But the truth is, many people are still trying to search for that. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? Is it up to every person to discover and to develop his or her own unique spirituality? Are we all on our own simple adventure of figuring it all? Is that the, what, what, what we do? Are religion and spiritual beliefs merely a matter of private interest? Not public, but private? And we might ask, is, is any spiritual belief system okay, so long as I'm serious and sincere about this? Well, that seems to be the kind of the thought. As long as you're serious and sincere and following your own path, that's good. So these are vital questions for us today. What does it mean to be spiritual? I want to speak to those of you, two kinds of people today. Number one, those of you who might identify yourself as spiritual but not religious. And I want to help you to understand what Christian spirituality truly is. If you're going to explore spirituality, if you're on your own spiritual journey, I want you to take a good look at what the Bible describes as a Christian view of spirituality. While you're evaluating what you believe, I want to make sure that you identify what it is that Christianity 
teaches. Now, you know, and the second group is people here who have a, already have a commitment and a faith commitment to Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. I want to help you to see what the landscape of our culture is like and really what the essence of Christian spirituality is, okay? Um, and this is, uh, th- we're studying to this text not arbitrarily today. We're taking a, st- a walk through the book of John in a series of messages that we call Meeting Jesus. And so last week we saw him clearing out the temple. The week before we saw him turning water into wine. The week before we saw him calling some disciples to himself. And we've just been taking a look through this book. It's been a great story. And uh, this is the very first time when Jesus is involved in a one-on-one personal long-term conversation with someone. So it's very important that we understand this story in the third chapter uh, of John, okay? So what we want to take a look at today are two questions, and you can jot these down on your message notes. We want to see what Christian spirituality is not, and then we also want to see what Christian spirituality is is, what it is not, and what it is. We see what it is not by taking a look at this man named Nicodemus, okay? I'm going to reread, which uh, Chris read it for you already, but I'll reread the first couple of verses. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? All right, so we have this conversation that exists between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. Now, John is telling us the story, and he, he's very careful. He tells us many things about this man. He tells him that he was, a, he was a Pharisee, that he was a ruler of the Jews, and later we see that he was a teacher of Israel. This man was a very important religious figure in his culture. He was a Pharisee. These were people that uh, took the law of God very seriously and wanted to be preparing themselves for when the Messiah would come by being a good, well-prepared people, okay? But he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling council. That was the group of Jews, the 70, who were in charge of basically all the religious and political affairs of the whole country. He was a, he was a, a, a like in the presidential cabinet, you would say. They were able to run the whole country underneath the authority of Rome, okay? He was a Jewish person running Jewish affairs. He was an important person. We see him later actually speaking to the Sanhedrin. So he was a respected leader. But he was also a teacher of the Jews. That would, that would mean that he had a, it seems to be a technical term, that he had a position. He was like a, a, a doctor of philosophy, he taught in the religious school, perhaps. He was very respected. This is, uh, it was a man of very high standards. He was as good as any of us and probably better than most all of us. As a good Pharisee, you know what? Nicodemus, believe it or not, if you were a Pharisee, most Pharisees had memorized the whole Old Testament. I mean, they knew the Scripture. They were not cheap about this. They, in fact, most, most Jewish men had memorized at least the, the Pentateuch by the time they were adults. It was an extremely uh, memory uh, important culture, okay? Um, but judging by Jesus' response to Nicodemus, even though he had all those great qualities, a religious man, sincere man, all these things, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the truth here, Nicodemus. Something needs to happen for you. So let's take a look. 
Um, you know, today we often think that just being good is, is all we need to do, but uh, uh, what, do, what, do we, what do we discover here? The first three things I want you to see about Christian spirituality, the difference between that and uh, the spirituality of, Jesus, of, of Nicodemus' day. First of all, Christian spirituality is not merely being a good person. It's not merely being a good person. As I said to you, Nicodemus was a good man. And in our day, the prevailing notion is that we just want, God just wants us to do the best that we can. If you ask most people, what does God expect out of us? Well, obey the Ten Commandments, love your neighbor, do good for people, you see? And I want to say, these are great things. Please do all those things. Continue to do all those things. But even though Nicodemus did those things, it was clear that what he was doing was not enough. The essence of Christianity, the consistent message of Christianity is that spirituality is not just trying to be good because if it was just a matter of being good, none of us is really good enough because God's standard is perfection. And none of us are perfect. So Christian spirituality is not merely being a good person. Secondly, Christian spirituality is not merely doing good deeds. It's not just doing good deeds. Uh, Nicodemus, as I mentioned, was uh, uh, a, a, a man who, who, who was extremely meticulous about his religious deeds. They fasted twice a week. They tithed to the actual penny of their income. They gave to the poor. They did all these things. They were very uh, people who were very serious about doing good things. They prayed many times a day, and they, they would carry prayer boxes on their garments to remind them of uh, when and how to pray. They were extremely devoted to their spiritual practices. They were more devoted to their spiritual practices than any of us are today. And there are, you know, a lot of people in our culture, whether it's Christianity or other faiths, that are very serious about their spiritual practices, that read their holy scriptures or, their, or pray several times a day or, or do all the things that need to be done to follow their, their path. You know, they, they, they visit religious sites. I mean, there are people who take treks all the way to Arizona for spiritual reasons, spiritual practices. They want, to, they want to experience God or what they understand to be spirituality. According to Jesus, simply doing good things or practicing your spiritual disciplines aren't enough. If they were, Nicodemus would have qualified already. So, Christian spirituality is not merely being a good person. It's not merely doing good deeds. It's not merely, thirdly, being sincere in your beliefs. One thing we can see about Nicodemus is that he was very sincere, not just in his beliefs, but also in the way he approached Jesus. He apparently made an appointment with Jesus. I'd like to talk to you. Now, keep in mind, this is a very well-respected guy in the community. He comes to him at night. Some people think he comes because he didn't want to be seen. I don't really think that's it necessarily. I don't think John sort of saying he was, you know, afraid to be seen, didn't want me to know, or, or but I, I think that John is, because John talks about light and night and day and darkness and light, I think John is trying to give us a little bit of a novelistic hint. I mean, it's true, he came at night, but to the fact that Nicodemus was in the dark, because later Jesus talks about light, and light and darkness is a very important theme in this book. He's really helping us to see that Nicodemus comes to him at night, and he thinks he sees but he doesn't really see, you see. There's something he needs to see. But he took the initiative. He secured a private conversation. He even was willing to admit his ignorance. I'd like to know something more about you. We can tell that you're a teacher come from God because look at the miracles that you're doing. 
Something's going on here. He was very sincere. And ourselves, around us, these 33% of millennials and 20% of everyone, we're, we're, many of us are very sincere. 70% of us pray every day, you know, or believe in a God. And, 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 uh, and, and a lot of us pray every day and take our uh, spiritual journey very seriously. We're very sincere. We want true spirituality. That's one thing that I hope that those of you who are followers of Jesus never forget. Please, don't be disrespectful to the spiritual journey of other people around you. Don't carry your big Bible on your chest and, you know, don't be mean and angry and like you're better than condescending. Please don't do that. No, people are very serious and sincere in their spiritual search, and we should affirm that. And, and, uh, and, then, and then we should help point them in that search towards Jesus. I often say to, me, say to people who say um, uh, that they're spiritual but not religious, I say, you know, you know I'm a very spiritual person too, and I don't, I don't really care much for religion either too. Religion kind of messes things up, but in my spiritual search... I came across this person of Jesus, and he is such a compelling person to me that I determined I would give my life to him. Have you ever really explored who Jesus is? Oh, I went to church when I was six or seven. Well, you know, while you're on this spiritual search, take a look at Jesus, and if I can help you toward that end, I'd love to do that. See, this is a way of affirming the spiritual journey that people are on while still pointing to them towards uh, towards Jesus. Nicodemus was very sincere, but his sincerity wasn't enough, was it? Just the fact that he was a good person, that he did good things, and he was very sincere really didn't impress Jesus as much as we might think. If we're not careful, we can make the same mistake that Linus makes every Halloween, right? You know what, you know what mistake Linus makes every Halloween? Halloween's coming up in a couple of days, right? And he always wants to find what the most, tell me somebody, the great pumpkin patch. He's looking for the most earnest pumpkin patch, right? Uh, and he's waiting for the great pumpkin to show up. And he tries to recruit people. And he says, we're the most sincere. I'm sure this is the most sincere pumpkin patch, you know? Well, the problem is there's no great pumpkin, you know? <laughs> Sincerity doesn't really amount to something if it's not sincere about the right things. You see, um, Christian spirituality is more than doing good, being good, observing spiritual practices, uh, being sincere. What is it? Well, Nicodemus begins to tell, or Jesus begins to tell us now what Christian spirituality is in the, the verses which follow. The first thing to see about Christian spirituality is this. Christian spirituality is a supernatural work of God. It's a supernatural work of God. That's what he says um, in verse 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse uh, 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I must say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. How many of you got yourself born? None of us, right? <laughs> Someone else was involved in that process. Our life is the gift of a, some, of, of a process which happened to us. Jesus is saying, you're born physically. You know, you didn't make that decision to get born physically. You don't make yourself born physically. It's a process that happens to you, right? A mom usually say, you know, I, I remember that day. 
you know, you didn't help me nearly as much as I wished, you know, you were, uh, but you were given life. Jesus is saying when you're born spiritually, it's a life that happens to you, not a life which you initiate. In the same way that you didn't decide that you would get a, a, a physical life, you can't decide that you're going to get a spiritual life. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a decision involved, but the, the, it begins as a gift of God to you. Spiritual Christian spirituality is a supernatural work of God. The gospel is about something which God did, which God offers. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God. God takes the initiative. God's the one who makes it happen. We can see the effects of a spiritual life, but God, like the wind, is blowing. And God brings about a spiritual life from a Christian point of view is not something I do for God, but rather something God does in me. It's really important to understand that. Uh, we're not consumers searching for a spirituality saying, I'll pick that one. I'll, pick, I'll take this piece here. I'll take that there. That's what we want to believe. No, it starts with something God has done. That's why this story about the dry bones is important. Jesus then goes on and says, um, uh, unless one is born of the water, the spirit, he cannot, the wind blows and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it's coming. This is everyone that is born of the spirit. Jesus uses this term born again, and it's, an, it's a reference back to this text in Ezekiel 37. Now, keep in mind, uh, Nicodemus knew the whole Old Testament. He knew this story, and he knew of that story when there were a bunch of dead bones out there, and uh, they were going to stay dead forever by all human natural understanding. But God breathed life into them at the command, the prophecy of, of Ezekiel. God made them live again. And God is the one who can give you a true spirituality. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, you know, Nicodemus, we're not really on a sort of a, a reformation. We're on a renewal project. There's a regeneration needs to happen. There needs to be a new life that comes to you. And Nicodemus did not understand that. How can a man be born when he is old? He didn't really think Jesus was saying get born in his mother. He's saying, you know, you're talking about a brand new life and, you know, uh, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. In fact, that story in e Ezekiel 37 is preceded by some really valuable verses in Ezekiel 36, where the Lord, Ezekiel writes this. I'll read it for you. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and, sh and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will make you, and I will put my spirit within you. Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit. Ezekiel said, I will pour clean water on you and breathe life into you through my spirit. And then there's that vision later of the valley of dry bones. The point is that it is God who cleanses us with his water. It is God who gives us life through his spirit. Christian spirituality is not something I do to get to God. It's something God does for me. Okay, that's the first thing about Christian spirituality. It's available. It, it, it's through God. Um, secondly, Christian spirituality is available through Christ's death. I, need, I can't read the whole text. Chris already read it for you. But in the 14th verse, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
Jesus speaks about his death. And again, he's speaking to a religious teacher, and he's speaking about a story in the Old Testament found in the book of Numbers. It's an odd story, really. There were these people complaining about God, and they wanted to go back to Egypt, and then the Lord sent a serpent and killed many of them, and then he said to Moses, put up a serpent on a pole, and if people look to it, they'll be, they'll be saved, okay? And Jesus said, that's what's going to happen to me. Like that serpent was put on a pole, I'm going to get put on a pole. Like they looked to the serpent and were made whole again, if they look to me, they will be made whole again. You see, the reality is that we are not saved by our good deeds, but rather by what God has done for us. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he himself Jesus himself will die, and that his death is the means by which God will accomplish the inner transformation necessary to bring us back to him. Jesus, as we know the story unfolding, came and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could have the forgiveness which God wants to offer us. And he rose from the dead so that we could have the new life which God wants to offer us. It is available through Christ's death. Christian spirituality is the work of God, not the work of humans, and it is available to us through Jesus' death. The third thing we need to understand about Christian spirituality is this. Christian spirituality is a gift of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, Christian spirituality is not what I do to gain God's favor, but it's rather what Jesus has done for me, which I then receive as a gift of his love. God loves us so much that he gave his son for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christian spirituality is not about you and me, what we do to find God, but it's rather what God has done to find us. It's the good news, the good story, the gospel, the good spell about what God has done in history through the giving of Jesus, his son, who gave his life for us. The fourth thing about um, Christian spirituality, this, is that it is a conscious commitment of faith. Here John begins to use a word which is very common in his gospel, which is the word believes in him. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And verse 16, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, knowing what Jesus has done for us is great, but we've got to respond in faith. It's a gift. If I was going to give to Michelle here, you know, here's a thousand dollars. I wish I could do it, but I can't, you know. Here's a thousand dollars. She didn't earn it or deserve it. You know, I just in my great graciousness decided I wanted to give it to her. She can't claim any merit for it, but what she has to do is to believe me and to receive it, to take it. Anyone want to give me $1,000 right now? I'll take it, I promise. <laughs> you know, so, all right, you see, $1,000, all right? And it, it, belief in the Bible sense is not like just making, oh, yeah, I, I believe that, like a mental assent. Belief in the Bible sense is like the belief you're all placing in the chair you're sitting in right now. You're trusting in it. You're relying on it. If it doesn't hold you up, you fall. You have to make a commitment to trust in that. Christian spirituality, though God has done everything necessary, requires from us a decision, a response. I have two more quick things to say, and then we'll close. 
The second, the fifth thing is this. Christian spirituality is a matter of life and death. Verses 17 and 18. God didn't send the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Um, you see, the reality is these are not, um, these are really important matters. If you want to have the life which God offers to you, you need to respond to the gift which God has made available to you through the person of Jesus. And sixthly, Christian spirituality involves a turning away from evil. Turning away. Men loved darkness, or from darkness, I should say. Turning away from darkness. Men loved darkness rather than light. No, we want to be people who love life. He's making a decision to follow Jesus involves becoming a brand new kind of person, responding to his love, giving your life to him. You see, Jesus has come to provide for us true spirituality, and it's not found by giving us a smorgasbord of things to choose out there. It's found in this great story about Jesus who came and gave his life for us so that we could have new life in him. It's a supernatural work of God. It's available through Jesus' death. It's a gift of God's love. It's a conscious commitment of faith. It's a matter of life and death. It's a turning away from darkness. And so as we close, I just want to ask each of you, have you received this gift from Jesus? Have you made your decision to follow him? On December 5th, 1979, I said to my girlfriend, let's go have dinner at the warehouse in Mission Viejo. We were, and we sat and had dinner across from one another, and I uh, listened to her tell me this story about her school classes. And I looked at her, had her look at a ring that, that I had given to her a number of years ago, a, uh, a number of years before, a little beautiful opal. Let me look at that ring, I said. And uh, so she's continuing to talk to me of hook, look, book, took, and all these things from her class at school. Meanwhile, I stick my hand in my pocket, and I pull out another ring, which I had in my pocket. And it wasn't an opal on it. It was a diamond. And then I just casually stuck that other new ring on her finger. And she looked at that ring, and I still remember that look today. And I said, will you marry me? And she glowed, and she said, yes. And so we've been married now 32 years, you know. Jesus is that bridegroom. He has paid the penalty. He's bought the ring. He's offered you a new name a new life, and he places it right in front of you, and you will decide someday, hopefully today, whether you will say yes. You don't do anything to deserve it, but you can refuse it. Please receive what Jesus gives to you. And if you have received it, see that as the greatest thing in the world. Wear that ring. My ring broke. I know. I'm sorry. Need to get it. It's so old. I got to get that fixed. I feel embarrassed about that. Um, um, wear it proudly. I belong to Jesus. He's given me new life. Let's have prayer. Father, I would pray this morning as we close out our time together that in the midst of the beauty of this day, you would 
open our imaginations to Jesus sitting across the table from us who says to us, you know, I know you've been looking for spirituality, but I want you to know I've already provided it for you. I gave my life for you. I died for your sin. I rose to give you new life. I want to give you a new name. Yeah, you're going to have to turn your back on some things, but look what you get. You get true life today and forever. Father, I pray that among this group today, there would be some men or women or children who would say, yes, Lord, yes, I will be yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.